had a friend of ours in the church come to us and say, who's, who's been saved and has been in the church, and she said to us, I cannot believe how much money is spent on these ceremonies. And not only is it spent, but it's an absolute waste. We do a lot of various uh, outreaches and ministries, but the main thing that this has always been the case is that we have to present, we have to make or create as many opportunities as we can for the Zulu community to hear the gospel. Amen. Our, our people are then heavily persecuted. It's different to Islamic countries where there's beheadings, but our persecution in the villages is the families. If, if anything negative happens to anybody in the family, it's the fault of the Christian. You, you feel extra weak when you're living in a culture that's not your own. We are white in, a, in an African village. We feel extra weak because we're so different. And we know that when we share something with the people, it's um, it's received with uh, question because it's a white man's gospel. But when we equip the nationals, the Zulu brothers and sisters that we have, we utilize those relationships and we disciple and we pray and it's ours. And then they're equipped to share with their family, to share with their neighbors, to share with their community. That's, that's what it's all about. Today I'm bringing you the second part of my interview with Kelly and Cherie Smith. If you didn't catch part one, the Smiths live and minister in a very rural area, KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa, among the Zulu tribe. Most people living in that area don't have running water or any kind of services, so life there is tough. If you didn't get to hear the first part of the interview where the Smiths shared more about life among the Zulu in South Africa, make sure to grab that one. And now for part two of my conversation with the Smiths. Kelly and Sharice, welcome back. It's great to have you here again. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So what are some of the ways you guys have seen the Lord at work in KwaZulu-Natal? One thing that only in this last term of being on the field have I noticed, which is opposite to earlier years, is that the, the men who are pastors, Zulu men, now seem to have a desire or a growing desire to be trained in the Word of God. There's the desire for theological understanding that never used to be there. That's it amazing. Used, it used to be the opposite. Now we are blessed to have Zulu men. We have a team of, of missionaries and pastors. Um, we have a couple who are on the radio, and they share on their on a prime time slot, and they'll answer some calls that from people phoning in. And sometimes there'll be pastors who are asking, "Where did you guys get your?" your biblical training and understanding and how can we also. So the ministry now is in the process of 
of trying to start a seminary to equip these African men with how to deliver the word to their congregations on Sunday. And it's exciting because typically with the Zulu culture, it's, it's an oral culture. It's not so much a literal culture or literate. Um, but now these guys are saying we need to be trained. We need to learn. We need to know how to handle the word appropriately. That's exciting. And that's only in recent years that I've seen that. Yeah, I got goosebumps. That's awesome. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's exciting because it's like you can just, just get excited multiplies. about the, the multiplication multiplies. possibility. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, <clears throat> I think over the years, you know, you you share the gospel and you do all these different outreaches and you would love to just see thousands whose lives are changed. But there is definitely a deep-seated um, cultural understanding of spirituality. And, and we're just keeping going, keeping going, trusting God that over time He will reveal to the community one by one his truth and sometimes you know when you see little children in dangerous situations um, the first step is for them to be rescued and there have been many um, opportunities for us to be involved in God rescuing children Um, there's a lot of broken homes neglectful situations and you know legally you can't just walk in and save the day but God has opened up doors where there have been children who we've been able to be a part of them being removed from a dangerous situation and finding uh, a good place to live in life in Christ and what an impact that yes must have been for even just one that's yes exactly and then to pray that they understand who has saved them and and, and turn to the Lord for their, their living, you know, their whole lives. We don't like to name names, but, um, you know, seeing women come to Christ, uh, a Zulu life does consist a lot of fear in trying to appease the ancestors. And that fear, I don't even know. I didn't. I grew up in a Christian home, and so I know I've been afraid at times, but I can't imagine being afraid of something spiritual That is extremely real in my life. And I think that freedom in Christ from those situations um, has got to be incredible. And we've seen women's lives changed. And we often talk about women because it seems to be the bulk of the community are women raising children alone. And, um, And then another thing is because of their spiritual beliefs, they're almost responsible for spending money they don't have when they're told that that's how um, a situation will be resolved. So imagine being relieved from that. I don't have to spend those thousands of rand that I didn't have, but apparently it's the only way to correct the situation. And in Christ, you can say, well, that's, there's a reason for the situation or a choice or a, an unfortunate circumstance. It's not going to be changed by spending money on a, Ceremony or something. Well, so an example of a situation would be if, if your uncle loses his job, um, that affects the whole family. These are large families. So then someone in the family would go and consult uh, which doctor? Sangoma. Sangoma will then um, say that 
your deceased relative needs to be appeased and you need to slaughter a bull or two goats. And this is costly. And so it's a bondage that they live under. And sometimes ceremonies like this may pop up once or twice a year. And it keeps them in bondage and it keeps them poor. Poverty, a cycle of poverty. Because how do you ever get above that, that low poverty line when you may have a little bit saved and then it's, or you have to then borrow? Mm-hmm. So and No ceremony is ever conducted without quite expensive alcohol. Mm. It's always involved. And it's, it's amazing how they scrape together these funds to do this, but it wipes them out. And how, um, how does it, for you, like, coming in after that, that has happened and kind of picking up the pieces and seeing these kind of lives just thrown into pieces, how does that, talk a little bit about that. We had a friend of ours in the church come to us and say, who's, who's been saved and has been in the church, and she said to us, I cannot believe how much money is spent on these ceremonies. And not only is it spent, but it's an absolute waste because it's it's nonsense. Her eyes have been opened to the truth and she says, Can you imagine what that what good things that money could go towards or how these families could be benefited if they just if their eyes were opened like like us at the church. Hmm. Well what was it about the area that drew you to it originally, what what breaks your heart about the area? What draws you? Originally, we were wanting to move to South Africa to share Christ. God, we, we spent much time in prayer, and God led us to the people, the Zulu people group, through the adoption of our daughter. Um, through the adoption of our daughter, we also, our eyes were opened to the... Um, the HIV-AIDS pandemic, and how people were struggling. So we were to go to South Africa, we were to live and minister amongst the Zulu people. And there's a place north of Durban in the province, and it's called, it's just called Zululand. And um, it's very remote. We thought we would be there. But um, through a set of circumstances, God um, allowed us to find this other rural, and it's also Zululand, it's very remote and um, surrounded by these, these Zulu communities. Fourteen years ago, the loss of life was horrendous. The, the pandemic were, were simply wiping out families. There's, as we speak, there's no home that's not affected. That's what broke our hearts because we wanted to see people who, um, these people were dying and we wanted them to hear about the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, that's the original intent. And now it's still the main goal. We do a lot of various um, outreaches and ministries, but the main thing is that, and this has always been the case, is that we have to present, we have to make or create as many opportunities as we can for the Zulu community to hear the gospel in their own language. Hmm. And if we ever... Every few years, we get the opportunity to come back to the U.S. and we um, we analyze: Are we being effective? Um, we're using kingdom finances 
to be doing what we're, what we're doing, living where we're living, and it's costly, are we being good stewards? Are we still productive? Um, are we still worth it? And, and it, because it's, it's something that weighs heavily on my heart, and we have to go before God in prayer, and every time it, he says, go back, <laughs> carry on, and we do. Because we're not convincing and we're not persuading people to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're presenting the gospel, and we believe it's the Lord's Holy Spirit who opens our eyes. So um, we're not arm twisters, but um, we're there to create many opportunities for the gospel to be heard. And God's faithful to draw people to himself. Amen. I have to imagine it would sort of be like this daily thing where you're kind of going, okay, God, I'm going to say it, do what, you know, do what you're going to do. And I'm, I'm weak and I'm not, (laughs) I'm not ready to do this, but okay. (laughs) You you feel extra weak when you're living in a culture that's not your own. We're white in a, in an African village. We feel extra weak because we're so different. And we know that, when we share something with the people, it's um, it's received with uh, question because it's a white man's gospel. But when we equip the nationals, the Zulu brothers and sisters that we have, and we utilize those relationships, and we we disciple and we pray, and it's ours. And then they're equipped to share with their family, to share with their neighbors, to share with the community. That's that's what it's all about. What people may not realize is um, our community, and we always try and focus on and, and share about our community because even in a different part of South Africa, the response might be very different and the way they see us might be very different. But we have seen over the years that it's a very respectful culture, the Zulu culture. Uh, They don't want to upset you. And so you can um, share with a whole bunch of people uh, information about Jesus and God and the Bible. And they will all pleasantly smile and accept what you're saying. But they happily separate the way we live as white people. They put all white people in a blob. (laughs) and themselves in a blob and um, they understand it's almost like they're saying yes yes that's great that's so nice to hear what you believe for you and and then they go home and they carry on and when it comes down to it it's well that's a white man's gospel like Kelly said and but we're Zulu and this is what Zulu people do so that's why it's so important for us to be equipping those who Christ has opened the eyes of to um, know him and to study his word. And those Zulu people then can do so much more. Amen. Our, our people are then heavily persecuted. It's different to Islamic countries where there's beheadings. But our persecution in the Zulu villages is the families. If, if anything negative happens to anybody in the family, it's the fault of the Christian. Because when you accept Christ and you denounce um, your African traditional religion, if you denounce the worship of the ancestors, um, there's persecution. Only, not only from you know 
spiritually from the enemy, but from your family. Hmm. And it, you, it's if you accept Christ, it's almost like you're accepting to be an outcast from the people who have fed you and clothed you and loved you. That has to be really hard. I can't imagine. So it's, it, when you're saying that, that's reminding me, my son just studied the Roman Empire in... Um, in school. And so it sort of just clicked when they were, when he was talking about it, that why the Roman empire hated the Christians was because they were angering the gods by not worshiping them. And I don't know why in my whole Christian school upbringing that had never clicked, but when he was talking about, you know, that's, that's why. And I thought, Oh, and when you're talking about that, I went, Oh, this is, it's interesting because in Christianity claims, you know, to be the one true God and that doesn't sit well with people sometimes. And in in America and other first world countries, we have the ability to be individuals. We can can live on our own or we can feed ourselves and clothe ourselves, but in developing countries, third world nations and where we live, it's you rely on the clan. And when you're then different, it's, it's not pleasant. So their faith must be something we could learn from. Yes, that's true. And their trials, Satan attacks, tremendous trials for new believers. Hmm. So what's something that the Lord has taught you this year or in recent, doesn't have to be this year? We've been out in this small area for a long time, and we have spent a lot of that on our own as a family, ministering as a family. Um, But we've been blessed in the last few years to have a team of people who have come alongside us. And it's just a reminder of how God works because although we feel equipped because of how long we've been in the community, um, and we do things the way that God has taught us through the years, having these others involved in ministry just multiplies what God is doing. And so you get to a, a place where you're just so inward focused because, okay, we God has had us here and these are the things he has us doing. And then he sends co-workers and they have all these other ideas And we didn't even have time to think of them. But all of a sudden, all this other stuff is happening. And so just really praising and thanking God for team members. Although we've always wanted them, I don't think we could even have imagined the amount of um, blessing that came out of God sending them and working alongside of us. So just being really grateful for team members and uh, maybe structure that's a bit different to when it's just yourselves. multiplication, our effectiveness, um, also fellowship. That's been big. Yeah. To have been out there for so long on our own, to now have neighbors and coworkers. Um, to give you an example, these last couple of years, we've had a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> Instead of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, now we have big birds and stuffing. Well, as big as South Africa can yeah. can uh, offer, it used to be the biggest um, turkey you could get was just a little bit larger than a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and now if you go to the right store, you can get one about four or five pounds. I had 
six, seven. And when you look at a recipe on how long to cook it, it's like barely on the information because it's much smaller than than what you would be looking to cook in the U.S. And we've been able to invite the people, the Zulu people who work with us and um, share uh, what Thanksgiving is about and how God works in different places and what he does to look after us and um, and then all be thankful, all take time to give thanks for something in our lives and just involve them in that thankful um, tradition of being thankful, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your, your team members? How, how many of them are there? I know you mentioned one person staying on your property, but... We have a, a team director or a leader, and he's an incredible man who's a veteran missionary who's been on the field of South Africa. I believe he's going on 32 years. Um, he and his wife are retiring, and they'll be transitioning back. And we have a new leader who uh, is also extremely dynamic and... Um, gifted in various ways. Um, he and his wife have been on the field in South Africa for a year now. And uh, we have another couple who live in town. They've been, they've raised five kids and they've been missionaries all over the world. And they are with us. And um, I, I often say we have an all-star team because we have so much, so much giftedness and skills abilities and with all of that the thing that shines through are just dear hearts and souls that love to serve um, on the farm we have a family uh, husband and wife with six children and that's the part that we mentioned that has been a blessing to have companionship so um, people come and people go we have uh, short-term mission teams come a couple times a year We'll have different people interested in becoming an intern, and we'll spend a month to a couple months. Um, we go through different phases of construction, and then it quiets down, and then we will um, we'll have people come and we'll do big sports outreach. Sometimes people who come will be medical, and we'll do health screenings at the schools, or we'll um, do visits to the clinic, um, and then that well that medical person will also be with us when we do our home visits um, so we we have we're well-rounded we've got lots of and we we're varied but it's it's interesting we're we're very seasonal there'll be a, a season for something like we'll be invited to teach at the schools Bible classes and that'll last for a year or two and then we'll um, we'll be invited by the soccer coach to come alongside him and then we'll we'll have a big soccer thing for a while in the afternoons and then that'll fizzle out and then we'll We'll do something else, and so right now the the, the skills training and the beads are, you know, thriving and having relationships with the ladies. Um, we're we're excited to see the the next the next chapter, the next season. Uh, I think what it may look like is um, with the change in the government, we're going to try and be equipping community women families and how to care for their foster children. The government has made some um, child care policy changes um, to where it's not necessarily advantageous to have a children's village per se. Or um, So what we'd like to do is those who are caring for children, 
they are likely doing it for um, the financial aspect of it. But what we want to do is say, you've got a great opportunity to love someone. And so we want to equip them how to feed them, how to care for them medically, um, how to consider nutritional needs. Um, also the spiritual aspect. We have to be more subtle, but we would love for them to uh, take part in our youth events and come to Sunday services and midweek Bible studies and prayer. But so, we're yeah. still praying what that will look like. Because hmm. you certainly can't force anybody to come to a training. They're happy often happy getting the government assistance. It's not a lot, financial assistance, but it helps them with their regular bills. And so the child is often then left still receiving the last of everything, even though they're the reason the finances are coming in. But we also have on the farm living with us a, a Zulu pastor and his wife. And they're a big part of, obviously, um, a lot of the outreach in, in Zulu. And then Fifi lives on the farm with us too. Um, and she moved out of home in the last six months because <laughs> she's now a young lady and an independent missionary. So um, she lives on the farm but in her own yes, she moved out separate to a small thing. Okay. Rondavel that's above the house that we live in. Okay. Yes. So we have a few Rondavels on the property. Um, they're Rondavels mean they're round houses and they have grass roofs. So unique about your your area. That's one yeah. of the <laughs> such unique things. Yeah. Uh, over the years, everybody's has mud homes, and they're usually round. Um, and they've slowly but surely been trying to build with something a bit more sturdy, like cement or concrete block. The mud huts will usually last a few years, and then with the rains, just you know, dissolve and fall over. So it's been nice to see. Um, some government homes for the people, but to see people um, progress with development. There's toilets, there's long drop outhouses. Um, are these public or are they in they're, they're, homes? Or? Uh, they're in a yard. In a typical Zulu home, you'll have um, one or two rondobbles and then possibly a square cement home. Oh, and the rondavels or the bedroom the portion? Every Zulu home has a rondavel that is a cook hut. Oh, okay. And then another rondavel would be like a receiving room for guests. Okay. Sit there and do that. And then um, the concrete structure would be where people would sleep. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they, the, and they're all separate structure. All three of those would be separate structures though. Okay. And then you would have uh, a long drop outhouse type structure and then in our in our communities all the Zulu bury their deceased relatives right there at the home so you'll have one to two to a dozen graves right below the house now you all don't live in a rendezvous do you we have rendezvous on the property we started to build our own and we we put the pause on that for a little bit um so we do not if he does. Okay. And our co-workers do as well. Our co-workers do. But we live in the original farmhouse um, that was there when we bought it, and that has been there for decades. 50 plus. Yeah. So what are some specific things that we can pray for you and your team and your ministry specifically? Well, our prayer requests are always for the gospel to continue to be 
um, received. Um, that's why we're there. Um, if that ever stops, then we need to move on. So that's a huge prayer request. Um, we're also getting ready to fence the property, which is a big undertaking. We would appreciate prayers in that regard. We've been raising finances for that, and we're close to meeting our goal. So that'll be, um, it'll save the macadamia nuts and um, lots of other theft. It's, it's a tough thing for us because when we first arrived, we were almost determined never to fence in the sense that, well, even regularly, people actually walk on our property on the edge to get up to their homes in the hill. So they walk along the road in the valley and then they cross over the hill. You know, they're not seeing land. This is yours. That's his. They're just seeing the path home. Um, and we've never wanted to seem like we've arrived and we're going to be this little set up and you're there and we're here. And everybody stay out. You don't want yes, to. Yeah. Exactly. But over the years, things have kind of changed and people get brave and bold. And if it's lying there, well, maybe you don't need it. And, um, and in the beginning, it wasn't a big deal. You know, if you left a camp chair out because you were doing a little ministry and praying and then you forgot and it's gone, well, that's fine. But we have been advised, you're actually foolish not to give them the best opportunity to, to succeed because we've had um, tanks, water tanks stolen, we've had equipment burned, and um, this will just help it be more manageable. It's no use if this project takes all of our time and then there's no time to share the gospel. Rather, fence it keep certain things under wraps, and then we can spend our time where we need to spend it most. I, th I think we did well by waiting for the fence, because yes. it seems like most everyone now, everyone around us is fenced, mm -hmm. and we're the last ones. Yes. So it wasn't like you came in, you set the precedent that we're keeping everybody out. No, now we're just following the rest of the community. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and also just for longevity of ministry, um, as we said, things change from year to year but just to be able to, to be there. And that also is a big part of the government. The government, South African government has become very hostile to missionaries. It doesn't affect us immediately because we're not on um, volunteer visas like some of our co-workers are. But if they had to leave and not come back, that would also affect the ministry. But we fortunately, um, South African citizen, Kelly's a resident, um, we, they, they couldn't kick us out on that but they've definitely become a lot more hostile to missionaries, to volunteer workers, and to white, just white people in general. And so that we would be able to stay there as long as God would have us be there uh, without having to deal with the government situation. Um, and then when time is ready, that God would have raised enough local people up to yeah. just carry on. Hmm. I think another prayer request would be sustainability. We've, uh, there's, a, there's a number of, a large number of missionaries that, that simply return to their sending country for a whole host of reasons. And God has been gracious to us to give us the longevity to, up to this point, but we would like to have people pray for us so we can continue to be effective and um, continue reaching souls. Definitely. Well, thank you guys for sharing all that you shared and for answering all those questions and just sharing your a little window into what's going on in South Africa with you guys. We really appreciate it and it's really been um, 
helpful and inspiring and enlightening for me and I'm sure for our listeners too. So thank you for, for being here and being with us. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. We uh, are grateful for ITMI. We're grateful for the many churches and individuals that partner. Thank you, Boston.